Many of us today are experiencing a feeling of exile. More frequently, we hear or say, I miss the way things were, a phrase commonly spoken about changes that are, at first, experienced as unwelcome, like a relationship ending, losing a job, or losing a place of privilege. But sometimes, it is in the midst of seasons of displacement that the greatest growth occurs and the greatest blessings are found. The exile of the Bible was a time of massive displacement when Israel was forced to leave behind many of its norms. And yet, it was during this season of loss that the Jewish faith underwent its most powerful and transformative spiritual growth. This Lent, by exploring the spiritual awakening of exile, we pastors hope to focus on areas needing attention in the church and country today. Join us as we go deeper into the search of faith to discover what can be found precisely when we think so much has been lost. Let's pray. Holy God, if there is anything said from this pulpit that is not according to your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said that is according to your will, let it be heard as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing obey. Amen. Today I need you to turn to Psalm 137, which you will find on page 503 of the Old Testament. I'll give you a second. The poet writes, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps, for there our captors asked of us songs, and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem's fall, how they said, tear it down, tear it down, down to its foundations. O daughter Babylon, you devastator, happy shall they be who pay you back what you have done to us. I've stopped short. There's one more verse in our passage, but it's one that I don't want to read with children in the sanctuary. You can read it on your own. Hard as it is to leave that last image behind, the one in that verse I did not read, let's turn to our New Testament lesson, Matthew 9, 14 through 17. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak, for the patch pulls away from the cloak, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put in old wineskins, otherwise the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. 
The word of the Lord. As a kid, I can remember spending summer afternoons running the neighborhood without any adult supervision, going barefoot to school and to church, enjoying the feasts that were potluck dinners at church, taking family vacations in state parks where the cost was low for my parents and the outside fund for the family was high, eating pancakes on Saturday mornings and fried chicken on Sunday afternoons and assuming that both were good for me. Ah, the good old days. Now, of course, when I was a barefoot kid playing in the neighborhood, I couldn't wait to grow up. As Andy Bernard said in the last episode of The Office, I wish there was a way to know that you're in the good old days before you actually leave them. What are your good old days, memories as adults? Was it when Roanoke was a railroad town? Was it catching up on the local news by reading the local paper that actually covered the local news? Was it getting televised national news from the same people that everyone did? Walter Cronkite, David Brinkley, Peter Jennings. Boy, that dates me. Was it following ACC basketball when there were only eight teams with freshmen playing on the freshman team and the stars being juniors and seniors? That dates me too. I really need to quit this. But I do congratulate a Virginia Tech fans. That's a fun team to root for right now. I'll be age inclusive. Do you miss a style of music? Do you, if you're old enough, miss the days of the big band or movie musicals or rock and roll, disco, country before country rock or country pop, hip hop before rap, boy bands? What are your good old days? It's fun to remember when. And it doesn't take away from what is good about life today to remember what we missed from yesterday's past. It is possible to enjoy the convenience of books on Kindle or Nook while missing the smell of a new book and then turning its pages while you read. To take advantage of the opportunity to work at home while missing seeing friends at work. To employ the powers of a smartphone while being jealous of the days when you are not so available or so tied to screens. Remembering good times while in good times is a way to give thanks for all of your life. But sometimes the world changes and something is lost and remembering becomes longing over what you can no longer have. Like a death, a divorce, A job lost, a tradition ended. And sometimes we have those moments together. I can think of three of those moments from my time here at Second Presbyterian. 9-11. In a single day, the world changed as the unimagined became real. And the world felt more dangerous. And it certainly then became more dangerous for some as we launched first into one war and then into another. And we longed for the days when we didn't fear terrorism at home. The pandemic 
Two months ago this month, our country turned on a dime and pretty much we lived our lives at home or online. And back in that time, the good old days, this was odd, the good old days was only a few weeks before or a month before when we could actually go somewhere and get a haircut or go out to eat or go to church, visit our loved ones. The third is the war in Ukraine. We don't know yet how this is going to play out or how the world will change. We just know it will. Those are moments. Last Sunday's sermon title was The Moment. And Elizabeth talked about when Judah fell to the Babylonians and many of its citizens became war refugees. The rest of our Lenten series will be about what follows from that moment and what surprising blessings can come. The exile is going to be our guide to give us an understanding of the truth of amazing grace when we sing, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Today, I want to talk about the first step of the journey, the moment after the moment, the moment after the initial shock of the world changing and the understandable longing for it never to have happened and to go back to the way it was. It is the moment after economic collapse or a war beginning or a pandemic shutting the world down. It's after the reality sets in and now you're dealing with your emotions, you're dealing with fantasies that are defined by those emotions, grief maybe, or anger. And how is one to react? Elizabeth read a lament last Sunday. It was simply a lament, and Psalm 137 is another lament, only it is a lament plus. It is a lament of the next moment. The psalm is the prayer of a war refugee having to make a life in the land of his captors. And just as American slave owners enjoy listening to the songs of slaves, this writer is sickened that he is asked to provide mirth and sing the songs of his homeland. The psalmist offers his lament and no doubt indulges in some heavy good old days thinking, good old days nostalgia, hoping that he will never forget when life was good in Jerusalem, what it was like to live in a land of Jewish majority where he knew all his neighbors and shared their customs and where the temple stood strong and tall as a symbol of the solid and lasting place of the people of God. I'll pause here for an aside. There probably is a good bit of revisionism going on in his remembering. The Welch language has a word for this kind of remembering, parath. It is to long for the way that things never were. What is missing from this lament is the perspective of prophets like Jeremiah who know that nostalgia is often linked to privilege and the good old days were not that good for everyone. Sort of like men missing the good old boy network, or Southerners speaking of the lost cause when the old South was where everyone knew their place, or the out of work bemoaning the closure of a factory that employed them because a more efficient, less polluting replacement was built somewhere else. Good riddance is what one might say to another's fond memory. 
But the one who is offering the prayer of 137 is not in the right headspace to have that conversation. He is, after all, a war refugee. His world has been turned upside down. Who knows who he has lost? And he is furious. And all he can think about is revenge. You read the last line of the psalm, the one I can't read out loud. You saw how violent is this suggestion to God about how things can be put right. That maximum pain be inflicted on those who caused his pain makes to him complete emotional sense. Now you agree, I hope, that the suggestion that he makes to God at the end of the prayer is a bad idea. We can applaud him for having the faith to pray and being honest with God. And we can hope that he will not take vengeance in his own hands and do what he thinks in that moment is right, but leaves it to God to do what is right, the God who said, vengeance is mine. But I hope that you agree that what he asked to have happen in that last verse is just dead wrong. The ending at 137 reminds us how in the red-hot moments of grief or rage, it's not always the smart play to do what you most feel like doing. Here's a pastoral word I want you to remember. If you tune me out the rest of the sermon, or if you've already tuned out, I want you to wake up and hear what I'm going to say right now, because this is something you'll need at some point, sometime. The best way to thrive in the future is to survive the moment. Sometimes that means it's better to delay the response. Don't do what you feel like doing or say what you feel like saying. Sometimes it's better to rely not on the wisdom of the moment, but to wait for the wisdom to come. Another way of putting that is that we should be careful with amygdala thinking, amygdala acting, letting that fight, flight, or free part of your brain that's right there take over and direct your decisions. Now, sometimes that part of your brain serves us well, like fleeing a building that is burning. It served many Judeans well in the moment when, when the city was falling around them and when families had to do whatever they could do to survive and to protect each other and to get to where they would be safe. Thank God for that part of our brain. But that part of our brain doesn't serve us so well in many other moments and can be really unhelpful in the moment after the moment. When a conversation becomes an argument, it is that part of your brain that makes you want to win or to hurt the other you're arguing with. And we should be careful not to root for amygdala thinking in our leaders right now or in Russia's. Emotionally satisfying fantasies about how a war can be quickly won and the world be quickly fixed may not be the next best steps to a lasting peace. Maybe we can move toward peace by turning away from world leaders today to the world's Savior. Let's consider what Jesus says in our passage, which is not nearly as dramatic as Psalm 137. The passage gives us some who are leaning to the past and Jesus who is leaning to the future. 
The disciples of John and the Pharisees are leaning to the past. They have in mind a way of life that they didn't want to leave behind, and now a way of life they don't want to disappear, and they want to preserve rituals and traditions that will help them remember Zion. Keeping those traditions, like fasting, it brings them comfort. It anchors them in their faith. It marks their identity. But Jesus leans forward. He's not against fasting. He's not against rituals and traditions. He knows their value. He keeps them. But Jesus has been gifted with this vision of the kingdom of God. It is coming, he said. It's coming in him. It is already here as he is with them. And those times when the work of the kingdom is to be done, when a way can actually be made way for peace, well, maybe that's time to postpone the keeping of the letter of the law. For instance, to give an example from his life, there's this time when he comes upon a leper. And Scripture says that he actually gets angry, but he doesn't act on amygdala thinking and lash out at the people who treat the leper as the walking dead and won't let him enter any town. He deals with them, but right now he helps the victim get past the disease so that he can again have a life with others. He does make his point, though, saying something about the way society is structured. He heals the untouchable by touching him. Or remember that time that Jesus is out in a field and he hears that there are thousands needing to be fed? Well, he doesn't need to hear it. He sees it. They're right there in front of him. And he doesn't get himself sucked up in the frustration of his disciples that these people won't just go home and feed themselves. Jesus tells the disciples to get to work so these poor people can be fed. And when at the end Jesus is betrayed by a follower and is about to be taken away, he doesn't give in to Peter's desire to fight an unwinnable fight, but tells Peter to put his sword away as he tends to the person that Peter wounded. And knowing that he will die even, Jesus leans forward. He doesn't return evil for evil, but responds to evil with good, showing the world a path toward reconciliation, which is the precondition for lasting peace. There are many blessings that are ahead for Jews in exile. You'll hear about some of them in the coming weeks. But in the moment, after the moment, they can't see it. All they can see is what was done to them and what they want to do back. But the way of Jesus is relentlessly hopeful because Jesus always moves toward the one from whom he came, God. He remains open to what is possible in a world that belongs to the God who promises that all things will be made new. But miracles of grace sometimes come by degrees. Over time, a relationship can be healed. One can get past a divorce without inflicting maximum harm on the other. One can get past grief without one's own life ending because one thinks in that moment that it's over. Over time, a purpose for the next chapter of life can be found for the one who now realizes that her life's dream won't come true. 
Over time, a pandemic can pass. We can get past it. We are. And over time, a war can end and peace be restored. But trying to fix what is wrong today by yearning to return to what you think was right yesterday can be the worst fix possible. Prayer has been called breathing as one exhales one desires and inhales God's will. That's what the writer of Psalm 137 gets right. In the moment after the moment, he excels his amygdala desires. And now it's time to wait for God's grace to reveal God's true will. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.